It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Shucks! Get up there. Uh huh. You seen Gracie? Yes, ma'am. She's uh. She's out back. She's getting some more Christmas decorations. More decorations? Now there is a fine line between good taste and just plain tacky. Mm -hmm. Oh! Give me a hand here. Uh. Oh, okay, okay, sure, sure. Oh, uh, I got it. Thank you. Oh. Mm -hmm. Gracie, honey, don't you think you've carried this whole thing just a little too far? Too far? Well, I have only begun to decorate. Now, I'll admit, at first, I was just mad at that Fountain of Grace Memorial Church, but the more I've thought about it, the more I think we're on to something. Mm -hmm. I think you're on something, all right. I guess diet pills. Uh, no, but I have been thinking about losing an employee or two. I think we might need a little more tinsel right over here. And that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Where were we? Morning, all. Hey, hey morning, Henry. Henry. Now, Henry, what are you doing here so early? Can't come on, though. Gracie called, told me to get down here. Here I am. Hey, Henry, thanks for coming. No problem, sugar, but what's going on? Well, now, as you all know, I have decided to put on a Christmas pageant of our own here at the diner. And since our motto is family style, serve with a smile, I thought that it would be appropriate for us to focus on the first family of Christmas. Debbie's going to be here. Oh. Who? George W., the first family. Hot dog. You think his mom will come? She sure is a nice lady. Henry, your body may be awake, but your brain has hit the snooze button again. That was four years ago. Yes, I am talking about the first Christmas family. You know, Mary and Joseph. I have decided to do a nativity scene. Hey, I saw one of those nativity scenes one time on a travel channel, and there's these girls in grass skirts, and well, they is hula and, and they uh, coconuts. Oh, oh, buddy, buddy! Not a native scene, a nativity scene. Good grief! You know the oh, baby Jesus, the Virgin Mary, the three I got wise it. Got men. It. Sorry. Like we're gonna be able to find three wise men around here. <laughs> be slightly easier than finding. Oh, Virgin. Henry. You may be yes. old, but I can still hurt you. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Now, Sorry. goodness, here's what I'm thinking. Christmas is about us loving each other and accepting each other and all. Just the kind of stuff that that Fountain of Grace Memorial Church has forgotten. So I thought we'd do it. That's a great idea, but who are you going to get to do the stuff? Well... I've been thinking about that. I, I thought about us doing it all and everything, but again, that seems too much like the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church, you know, excluding people and all, so I thought we could ask some of our customers too. Oh, like who? Well, I thought about Johnny and two of the boys from the firehouse could be the wise men. I get it, because they come from afar. Exactly! <laughs> and I thought about old Bill. Robinson for Joseph. Ooh, Bill Robinson. And a fine-looking Joseph he would be. Oh, and I thought little Buddy could be the shepherd. Because you know you oh, like animals. Shepherd. The 
worship. And then, well, and then I thought about uh, the, some of the boys from the DOT, and well, that just leaves Mary. And to be honest, I'm just going to have to wait on the good Lord for her. Well, what about the angel? Well, you know, I have read the Bible. Well, I was getting to that point. I thought that Nadine could play the angel. Oh, so it's going to be a comedy. Henry! <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry, Gracie, but Nadine, an angel? You might as well have her to play Joseph. I mean, with the right doctor, she could be a man. I mean, I just don't see Nadine as an angel. I can't believe you. I'm sorry, Nadine. Henry had no right to say that. Not Henry. You. What are you thinking? Can't be the angel. Be the laughing stock of this whole county. Well, that is ridiculous. You and Henry are both wrong, buddy. What do you think about Nadine becoming an angel? Well, I reckon I'd miss her a whole bunch when she's gone. <laughs> but, you know, I don't question the Lord when it comes to these kind of things. Look, Gracie, I appreciate the thought and all, but there is not one good reason for me to be the angel. Well, the Bible says there's some of God's most beautiful creations. Well, now, there is that. <laughs> but, oh, look, Gracie, no. I mean, you know, this here's a small town. Everybody knows everything about everybody. Just can't stand up there in front of all those people who know me, pretend to be some angel. But, honey, that's the point. Whoever stands up there will be pretending. Now, none of us are angels. Now, enough with your excuses. Besides, remember, the teacher says whenever a bell rings, an angel gets her wings. You're going to need a bigger bell. secrets, don't we? And some of us are better at keeping uh, secrets than others are, and, uh, but they're not always good. Secrets are not always a good thing. In fact, I want to illustrate that for you today with the whole concept of secret Santa. You know what I'm talking about? It's the worst invention to Christmas ever. <laughs> Where you take a bucket, you put everybody's name in it, and you draw a name out of the bucket and uh, you have three weeks to keep a secret of whose name you got, and somebody else drew your name, and then you have to keep it a secret and go shop for somebody, and if your luck is like my luck, you draw Aunt Matilda's name, who has 30 cats, and watches hoarders to see her friends, <laughs> and, and, uh, and you think, what am I going to get her? Because I have so much in common with her, and, and finally you decide to get a cheese wheel, uh, knowing she won't like it, and, and, you know, she opens it, and, you know, somebody got your gift, and the thing you never hear when you open a Secret Santa gift is, this is exactly what I wanted. How did you know? It just doesn't play out in that scenario. And last week, we looked at some secrets, and the secrets that we looked at were the secrets that Jesus has in his family. And in his family uh, bloodline, his genealogy, he had some relatives that you and I uh, would rather ignore uh, than acknowledge, but Matthew puts them front and center. 
and he highlights them, and, and he shows and he, that God went way out of his way to include these people in the story, and Matthew goes way out of his way to include these people in the story, and he tells a Christmas story like you've never heard before. And before he talks about shepherds and mangers and angels and frankincense, he says, hey, let me show you something about Jesus' past that I have discovered, and I want you to see this too. And Matthew makes a point about God and about who we are and about how we are to relate to God and that it's not about where I've been and it's not about what I've done and it's not about who I am, but it is all about who he wants to make me into. And we talked about that last week. And if you weren't here last week, please go online and and watch uh, last week's message. But Matthew is saying, my past does not matter. And my future is not determined by my past. And Matthew begins with this genealogy. And the purpose of a genealogy in that day was to show all the right people that you were related to. But Matthew highlights all the wrong people uh, that Jesus was related to. And he went way out of his way to show the embarrassing and the sensitive and the R-rated parts of Jesus' genealogy that would make all of us blush. And Matthew is highlighting these people. But this is all part of Matthew's Christmas story and Matthew's gospel story and Matthew's salvation story. That God went out of his way to sow into the tapestry of Jesus' earthly life people who were less than saints and less than good. Jesus had royalty in his lineage, but he also had those who messed up royally. And God went out of his way to relate to those people, people like you and me. And God went out of his way to make the message available to the lowliest of us all, which is the message of Christmas. Let's pick back up in Matthew chapter 1. If you got your Bible, turn there. And in verse 1, the very first verse of the New Testament, uh, Matthew begins and he says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, right? He's a good, good man. In Galatians, it tells us that he's also our father. And and so the childhood song, Father Abraham has many sons, you are one of them, and so am I, is biblical in in its uh, origin. And so Abraham is who we're talking about here. And in fact, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then God told uh, Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, but he only had one son. Isaac. And so the blessing is going to flow through one son. Isaac has two sons, right? Jacob and Esau. And you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob stole his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. And in Genesis 33, they eventually reconcile with one another and they work it out. It'll be a great reading assignment for you this week to read Genesis 33 and where Jacob and Esau reconcile with one another. Now, the name Jacob means liar which is a great endorsement by his parents on him to name him liar. And God later in his life changes his name, right? And he changed his name to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And look what Matthew does in the midst of all of this to show us the bloodline that Jesus comes through. He comes through one of those 12 sons, Judah. 
And who is Judah in the story? His story is told in Genesis 37. Turn over to Genesis 37. And let's go look at the story this morning of Judah. And when you look at the 12 sons of Jacob, God has a choice to make. He could have chosen any one of the 12 sons for his Messiah to be born through, for salvation to enter the world through. He could have chosen Reuben, right? Reuben's the firstborn. Firstborns were a big deal in biblical days, and he's a good boy. He's the hero of the story that we're going to read today. He could have chosen Joseph, who's the most famous of all the 12 brothers. He's the beloved son. He ends up being the savior of the whole country of Egypt. That would have been the natural choice that you and I, if we were writing the story, we would have chose Joseph. But God in his wisdom and God in his grace and God in his mercy chose Judah to say that God went way out of his way to choose the unlikely candidate. Now let's look at the story and see where Judah's life runs off the tracks in Genesis chapter 37. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say one kind word to him. So Joseph is the youngest. He's the baby. He's daddy's boy. He's the little goody-goody, and his brothers hate him for it because their daddy loved him so much. And one day in the story, daddy comes along and gives Joseph a coat that's made of many, many, many colors. And it's this fancy coat that he wears all the time to show off in front of his brothers that I got the coat, you didn't get the coat, and, and they hate him for it. And then another time in the story, Joseph has these dreams that he says are from God, these prophetic dreams. And in the dream, they're all bundles of wheat. And his brothers are all bundles of wheat, and he's a bundle of wheat. And that his, the other bundles of wheat bow down before him. And he shared that dream with his brothers. It's a bad idea. And then he shares the dream and says, I had another dream where you guys and mom and dad are the sun and the stars and the moon and all of you bow down before me. So even mom and even dad are bowing down before me in my dreams. What he broke the, you know, and that, those dreams may have been from God and, and they may have been the right thing, but he broke the first rule of prophetic dreams, sharing them with other people and, and bragging about them. And so he's sharing them. And so Jacob in the story sends Joseph down to Shechem to check up on the brothers. And you know how that plays out, especially if you're the youngest, that the little one who always stays home and doesn't go outside, right, is sent outside to go check on the brothers, to check on their progress, to report back to dad or, or, you know, to mom and what they're doing and to tell them how to do their job. And we already have seen he's not good at being humble. And look at verse 18 and how this plays out. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a great distance because his jacket was all lit up. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns. And we can tell dad that a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his big dreams. Now, I don't know what kind of sibling rival you have in your home. Or how dysfunctional your family may be. But I'm pretty sure that your brother hadn't tried to kill you. 
And just as sure as I say that, somebody will meet me in the guest reception and say, my sister, you know, tried to kill me. But, but, but this is Jesus' earthly family, right? These are his earthly brothers and sisters. I mean, this is his lineage that he comes through. And, and as this is playing out, your family may be dysfunctional, but the point of all of this is that Jesus' family is worse. And, and let's keep reading. Look, look at verse 21. But when Reuben heard of the scheme... He came to Joseph's rescue. He's the older brother. He has a little sense. Let's not kill him, he said. After all, he is our brother. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in the empty cistern in the wilderness. Then he will die without us laying a hand on him because he's full of mercy and grace. And Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Maybe he would get a coat, you know. And and so Reuben is, to some degree, thinking straight about saving Joseph's life. He's thinking about his dad. He knows his dad will go into great mourning because he loves this boy. And, And so what did Judah and the other brothers do? Look at verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into a cistern. The Bible says, then they sat down to eat. Because dumping your brother in a well makes you hungry. And just as they start to eat, they see this caravan of people on their way to Egypt. And they decide, why should we just kill him? Right? I mean, there's no money in that. We ought to make some money in the, in the way that we handle this. Let's sell him. Their brother. And, and so dysfunctional to the nth degree in this family as it plays out. So they sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, which is a couple of pieces of silver each, and they take the fancy robe, they dip it in blood, and you know they took it to dad, and they said, he's died. And now what plays out is a shattered family and buried secrets and a heartbroken father. And in Genesis 37, verses 34 and 35, They show their father the fancy robe covered in blood. And it says that Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. And he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Verse 35, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go to my grave mourning for my son. And he would say that uh, he would weep, and he would weep, and he would weep. That's what the scripture indicates. And there's Judah in that room and in that story, complicit in the cover-up, comforting his father. And he puts his arms around his dad, but he actually knows the truth. And years and years and years go by, and he holds on to this secret. And what does that secret do to him? I'm going to show you some things today that holding on to secrets will do to you. The first one is, is holding on to secrets makes us oversensitive. When you hold a secret in your heart, it makes you oversensitive. We all have secrets, right? Let's face it. We all have them. And we hold on to them. And when we hold on to them, it makes us sensitive. And we're always looking over our shoulder, wondering who knows about it. How are they going to find out about it? Is anybody going to find out about it? And, and, And we get so sensitive. And we blow up when someone makes a hint or says something that's poking at that secret in our heart. And it breeds suspicion in our head and suspicion in our hearts. And we start to assume other people's motives at that moment in our lives and we wonder if they'll ever find out and so uh, our sensitivity makes us critical 
and we point fingers at others and we blame others for our feelings and we point out their flaws, which is the second thing that holding on to secrets does. Holding on to secrets makes us overcritical. You ever seen that in somebody's life? Somebody has a particular hang-up with somebody else's faults or somebody else's problems or somebody else's sins. Because I've been around the block a few times in this ministry thing and, and meeting with people, anytime somebody comes in and has got this hang-up over somebody else's sin and somebody else's problem, in my heart of hearts, I think, they got a problem there. Because holding on to a secret makes you overcritical. And, and you, you hear that the neighbor's daughter had a baby out of wedlock and it's a shame, but she's always been a bad girl. And always had loose morals. Some friends get a divorce. And that's such a shame, but I knew it was going to happen. And, and our secrets, because of them, we lash out. And because of them, we blame. And relationships get hard to maintain at that moment. And we let our secrets keep us from fully opening up and we push people away rather than opening up to people and we reject intimacy because intimacy is knowing fully and being fully known and we're afraid of being fully known because we're afraid of being found out and we fail to understand that with intimacy with God there's no fear of rejection intimacy with God is being fully known and knowing fully with no fear of rejection but over and over and over again that secret pops up and we're reminded of it and we let it rob us of our relationship with God and we let it rob us of our relationship with other people. The third thing that holding on to secrets does is it alienates us from others. When we live in constant fear that someone's going to find out, especially God, when you think through that, the truth of the matter is God already knows, right? He, he knows everything. And what we're really afraid of is that God will punish us. And so we run from God's punishment and his judgment because we know in our hearts we deserve God's judgment and God's punishment. And when you live in that constant fear and when you continually run from God, it is impossible to do what God wants you to do. You're running, but you're on a treadmill. Letting your past hold you back from the plan that God has for your future. And you can't see it and you can't hear it because you're running too hard. Fourth thing holding on to secrets does is it keeps us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Question, what kind of plan does God have for your life? What about Judah? What kind of plan did God have for Judah's life? He was in line to be the grandfather of David and ultimately the grandfather of Jesus Christ. But he didn't know it. And for years, in fact, 22 years, he ran from his past, he ran from his secrets, and he ran from his guilt. And those years went by. And as those years went by in Judah's heart, they also went by for Joseph. And Joseph was suffering a great deal. He had his ups and downs too, right? He was sold into Potiphar's house and then falsely accused and thrown into prison. And in prison, God gave him and granted him some more dreams. And he interpreted those dreams and some friends got out, but then his friends forgot about him. And he stayed in jail longer. And then finally, he gets out of jail. But the time he gets out of jail, a famine 
is coming into the land. But God is still working in all of that. And behind the scenes, God is up to something in all of this. And now he is soon made, Joseph is soon made second in command in the whole land of Egypt. The only one higher than him is Pharaoh. He is large and in charge now. And you come to Genesis 42, flip over a page, Genesis 42, and you see Judah finally come face to face with his secrets that he's been running from. And he has felt like God was chasing him, but God was not chasing him. He was pursuing him. I want to say that again because you you need to mark that in your heart and put that all over Twitter. God is not chasing you. He is pursuing you. Genesis 42, verse 21 and 22. Speaking among themselves. Because what does Joseph do when, when he meets his brothers? And how is this playing out? Watch this. He put them in custody, and they come to the only conclusion that they can think of at that moment. And by the way, they don't know who Joseph is. He has not revealed himself. And he, they don't know that he speaks their language and understands what they're saying. And in amongst themselves, here's what they say. Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when we pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. And then look at the Bible. Reuben does what every older brother does. He says, didn't I tell you? I told you to leave him alone. Didn't I tell you to not sin against the boy, Reuben asked. But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. And there's this back and forth that happens between Joseph and his brothers. And they've come to get food. The daddy has sent them to get food. And so he eventually gives them the food and sends them on their way without revealing himself. And he has the servants put the money back in the saddlebags. And so halfway home on the journey, they open up the saddlebags to get something to eat and they see their money there. And now they think, he's going to think we stole this from him. And they're worried sick about this, and and, and they're afraid. And they're scared to death of Joseph, even though they don't know that it's Joseph. And they are sure that this is God's judgment. And their view of God is so distorted. When you hold on to secrets in your life, your view of God is distorted. And you think he is chasing you when he's pursuing you. And you think he's out to get you. And your whole take on God is he's not happy with you. And that he's just waiting for the best opportunity to get you. But the truth is, listen, God doesn't have to wait to get you. He is large and in charge. And and he can take you out anytime he wants to. If that's what he wants, he'd have done it. He doesn't have to wait for your attention, and he doesn't have to wait for you to turn and acknowledge him to get you. If he were going to get you, he'd already gotten you. He wants you, and he wants life for you, and he is pursuing you. And you may feel alienated from God, but the good news is he doesn't feel that way. He paid the price to have a relationship with you. And just like Joseph is trying to save his brother's lives, God... Saved our lives. 
And he sent his son to die for our secret sins, not to punish us. He didn't come into the world to condemn it. He came into the world to save it. And that's what Christmas is all about. And back to Joseph's story, a story of a man who was wronged. In Genesis 45, he reveals himself to his brothers. What an amazing play of events. They knew that God was mad at them. And they knew the prime minister was mad at them. But they didn't know that he was their brother. And he reveals himself and he says, I am Joseph. And I think in heaven God was gathering all the hosts of heaven and the angels. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Watch this. You got to see this. Look at verse 4. I'm Joseph. And they're backing away and they're backing away and they're backing away. And and he says, please come closer. And they're like, "I, I don't think so. You are Joseph. And he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. Oh, we know who you are. Our brother Joseph, we sold you into slavery. And every time the clouds came and every time a sheep died, we thought this is it. Famine would come. This is it. God is judging us for the blood that we shed of you. We've been waiting our whole lives for God to strike us down for that. And here you are and you are alive and you are well and you are in charge and you are Joseph and here we are before you and we're as good as dead and you're Joseph and in verse 5 God is saying again come here come here listen 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 watch this play out and he says to his brothers but don't be upset And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. And then he goes on in verses 7 and 8 and three times he tells them why he's there. That it was God who put him there. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. And God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. And in verse 8, so it was God who, who sent me here. And a group of dusty shepherds in a land far, far away from home with nothing to stand on and no self-righteousness and no defense and no good deeds, standing in the presence of a man they wronged, though he did nothing wrong. He was sold by his brothers. He was falsely accused and he was punished and he spent years in prisons and he suffered through his teens and his 20s, the best years of his life, but he remained faithful to God when it seemed that God had not been faithful to him. And he told Pharaoh in a moment, you are not God. God is the one who makes me wise. And he gave all of the credit to God all through the story. He never took any of the credit for himself. And he learned humility in the process. And now he's standing there. He's looking at his brothers. And finally, he has the upper hand on them. And what does he do in that moment? And all of heaven is watching. And all of earth is watching. And he says, I forgive you. Not only do I forgive you, grace of God, I'm going to take care of you and your children 
for the rest of your lives. This last Monday, I'm reading a message that's been written for weeks again. I'm sitting there in a content meeting and I ask the question, where did he learn to do that? I gave you the assignment to read Genesis 33 this week. You remember the story? Remember back Jacob and Esau and he stole his brother's birthright and he stole his brother's blessing. And years go by as they parted ways and now they're coming back together and he's, Jacob spends all night wrestling with God. And in this caravan, back to meet one another, to, to have this initial conversation. He took his servants and, and, and the, all the other wives and all their kids, and he put them out front, and then he put Leah and, and, and her kids, and then he put Rachel, his favorite wife, and her kids, and then he's at the back. In case, you know, this doesn't go well, he can turn and run. Man of great courage. And in Genesis 33, verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. Then Dave, Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. And he put the servant wives and their children at the front, then Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Only kid mentioned. All the kids. Only one boy mentioned there by name Joseph and God let him sit on that camel or let him sit on that horse or donkey or whatever it was to watch his uncle who had the upper hand on his daddy forgive and reconcile and restore why because God knew Joseph was going to need that at a later date in his life parents the greatest gift you pass on to your children is the ministry of restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation because they are going to need it in their lifetimes and Jacob says to his brothers I forgive you not because you confessed I caught you Joseph said but I forgive you and I welcome you back into relationship with me can you imagine that and God is in heaven and all of the angels are clapping and applauding and cheering and he quiets them down and, and he says to the host of heaven, I've got a crazy idea. It's a crazy idea. And the angels are saying, God, what are you going to do? And how is this all going to work out? And he's calling them closer. God, what, what is your plan? And God says, let's use Judah to bring the Messiah and salvation into the world through. What? Him? God says, yes, him. Because it's people like him. And for people like him that I am sending the message of salvation to. And let's let them see the picture of what salvation is really all about. 
And we all have secrets and past chapters in our lives and, and, and nights or weeks or spring break that we wish we could forget all about. But because it's Christmas, because Jesus Christ is Savior, because he lived and he died and he rose again, you don't have to be alienated and afraid of God because of your secrets. He placed them on his son so that you could have life and so that you could have a relationship with him. And God looked at the 12 and he said, Reuben is the oldest. And Joseph, he's the righteous one. But Judah, that, that's my man. Because that's the point. And that's why I'm sending my son. And in that moment, thousands of years before Christmas, God chose Judah. And in choosing Judah, God sent us this message that God is so big and his love is so big that it will stretch all the way around all of your sin and all of your past and all of your secrets and your guilt and your garbage and I wouldn't pick Judah and neither would you that's the point God did and through one who did not deserve it to those of us who do not deserve it God chose to bless the world. Don't let your past get in the way of what God wants for your future. Would you pray with me in all of our environments today? And as you bow your heads, I know there are men and women boys and girls under the sound of my voice today in one of our environments or even online and you've never given your life to Jesus would you come to him today and would you receive the gift of Christmas right where you're seated where you are today, would you just pray and say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know it. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And in the best way that I know how, I receive the gift of Jesus, the gift of Christmas, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness. And Jesus, in the best way that I know how, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord, and my Savior, and my forgiver, and I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And before I say amen, for those of us under the sound of my voice who are already believers, already children of God, who are holding on to our past, Would you just say to God, God, as you forgive me, 
I forgive me. I'm not going to place my standard on forgiveness higher than yours. As you forgive me, I forgive me. Help me to walk in grace, which I could never earn and never deserve, which is the whole point of grace. Help me to live and receive your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord for truth from his word?